You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Good morning. This is Ken Sternfeld, and I am a concierge pharmacist. This is the Pharmacy Podcast Network's stat consultation. I've been using TheraWorks Relief because it has been part of my daily routine to help me prevent muscle cramps and spasms, and I've been using it for fast-acting relief. When you use it twice a day, in the morning and before bedtime, it will prevent nighttime muscle cramps and spasms. Or if you use it three times daily, if you are ever experiencing cramps and those spasms during the day. As soon as you feel a muscle cramp or spasm coming on, use TheraWorks Relief to quickly release muscle tightness and reduce the soreness afterwards. Go to www.theraworksrelief, T-H-E-R-A-W-O-R-X, relief.com. This is Ken Sternfeld, the concierge pharmacist. Welcome back, everybody, to the Evidence-Based Podcast Show. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Cavalina, with our Know It Some host, Todd Yuri, and our special guest, Dr. Mark Agrofoli. And we're here to talk about opioids today. I'm really excited uh, about talking about therapy. Um, hopefully, we'll get into some topics about uh, addiction and, and how we can avoid these problems and how we can use the opioids properly in our practices. So I'd like to, uh, again, reintroduce everybody to Todd Yuri. Go ahead, Todd. Say hi. Hey, Pharmacy Podcast Nation. This is exciting. I don't get a lot of people in the studio. So when we get pharmacists in the studio, especially from our sister neighboring state, I'm in Pennsylvania, but West Virginia is right underneath us, only 30 minutes away. Dr. Mark Gorofoli is here with us, and he drove up from West Virginia University Health Sciences, um, the pharmacy department. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation, Mark. How are you? Thank you, and, and thank you very much for having me as well, Todd. Uh, pleasure to be here today, and where, where else should we be but in the studio, of course. That's right. That's right. So our listeners, um, we have about 75,000 plus listeners and growing. It's a global publication. About 80% of them are in the United States. What I get excited about is when we can tap into the schools of pharmacy, the next generation pharmacists, the pharmacy future leaders, which is actually a station. If anyone's listening, we do have a station dedicated to the students that's led by uh, the one and only Dr. Joanne Pio. Um, she's also an MBA, just like you, Mark, and she's just dynamic. But give our listeners some background, Mark, on, on you and what you've done in pharmacy and, um, and your um, participation uh, within West Virginia University. Oh, the student pharmacists. They keep me young. They keep, <laughs> they keep all of us young, don't they? Mm -hmm. um, well, as far as myself, um, you know, how do you get here is pretty much the big question. And I, I started out my career in, in pharmacy, uh, working on the community pharmacy side. Uh, basically, was with uh, CVS Health. Uh, throughout the entire time I was in pharmacy school and then about six years after that. So a total of a decade, uh, climbed up the corporate ladder, was was doing field management, but also was an active community pharmacist for a good time. Um, worked many different stores, uh, especially in the Baltimore, Maryland area, actually. Um, 
pharmacy is the smallest profession out there as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there's other podcasters here with Pharmacy Podcast Network that uh, Todd and I were actually talking <laughs> earlier that I, it's not name dropping when you say six names and you, you know eight of them. No Mark, we have to say it though. Uh, the one and only Dr. Tony Guerra, who was one of the original Pharmacy Podcast Network podcasters. And what's funny is the very first time he listened to the Pharmacy Podcast, I mentioned him and he wasn't even part of the network because of his Twitter account. And he said he spit his coffee out. So uh, say hi to Tony, by the way. How's it going, bud? <laughs> hope, hope the three little girls are doing very well, by the way. That's awesome. Let's see how small the world is, Jason. It's incredible. It's great because I interact with Tony a lot on Twitter as well. He's amazing. We have pharmacy leaders. He's now doing pharmacy resident leaders uh, or residency leaders, um, I believe. A very popular show. Today, we're going to be talking about pain management. We're going to be talking about pharmacists in pain management. This episode is part of a series sponsored by Avedum Health, who has been wonderful to work with. Uh, Dr. Feuden was on our uh, first show to kick us off in this series. He's amazing. He's known as the pain doctor. Um, then we had uh, Namish Javari uh, come on. He's the president of, of uh, Health Mart, which was wonderful to have him on. Ralph Lombardo has been the, the, the go-to Avedum guy. He's really helped to curb the series. Now we're bringing this to the evidence-based podcast with uh, Jason and Mark to discuss pain management. And I'm going to start out with Jason just to kind of kick us off. We all know there's an opioid epidemic. We all know there's room for pharmacists to get more involved. And um, Jason, just give us your insights to how this has brought you to the, to the trenches yourself, uh, pain management, opioid epidemic. Give us your oversights. When I was a newly uh, minted intern working in in retail, uh, you know, we this was just around the time where Purdue is bringing out um, OxyContin and a, a couple of the longer acting formulations, and Roxycodone had been around forever, Vicodin had been around forever, and you know they they started sending reps around saying, oh, you know, these are okay. The the patients aren't going to get addicted to them, but we're going to bring them out as a C2 anyway. And we all kind of looked at each other and went, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, how could that, how could you possibly go around and say that you, you have a schedule two drug, but it's not going to be addictive and not to worry about it. So we all had these ground rumblings early on. And, and we spent a lot of time. I started out as a hospice pharmacist in my real, you know, my, first real uh, setting as a pharmacist and I worked to did hospice pain management end of life care and you know we're talking real strong heavy dosing for um, you know pain of death type of situations with with whether it's uh, multiple myeloma or or end of life care and and cancer patients and and other things and so there was a real good in-depth understanding of what we're doing how we're doing it and the other place I got, I cut my teeth on pain management was the multidisciplinary teams at the VA. We had therapists, nurse practitioners, pharmacists, psychiatrists, doctor were part of the team and social worker were part of the team. And so we would have pain clinic and our patients would come in and we'd discuss how they were before we went to see the patient, the team would talk. And then the doctor and myself would go in and talk to the patient. And we would talk about their plan. We talk about their life, and it was a very frank discussion with the patient about 
What did you used to do in your life? What do you want to do now? What's your ultimate goal? Do you want to play six hours a day with the grandkids? Do you want to just be able to garden for a little while? Do you want to be the guy you were before you had your injury? Okay, well, here are the realities of life. Here's what we're going to really deal with. And here's where we could try to get you back to. The question is, how much dysfunction are you willing to live with? And so these frank discussions we would have and, and come up with a plan for the patient to say, listen, if you take it this way, things might be okay. You might be have a little dysfunction in terms of, you know, maybe too tired, maybe, you know, maybe a little wonky from the medication. Um, and then here's the ways that we can go around it. Now, is that acceptable? Let's try it for a month and we'll come back and reassess every month. And so that was, that was how I grew up in it. And then I went out to the community pharmacy after that. And it seemed to me to be the wild west of everybody being able to prescribe anything they wanted any way they wanted and 99% of the time getting it wrong. As a person who had been you know, brought up with the correct algorithms, I fought back and said, you're doing it wrong. You're not, you're not doing it right. This is the way you should be doing it. Your calculations are off on the dose. We need to fix this. And I would get pushback. But ultimately, I have a coordinating responsibility as the pharmacist, and I can say no. Right, Pharmacists out there, you have to understand, you're allowed to say no. Whether it's opioid therapy, whether it's asthma therapy, whether it's hypertensive therapy, you're allowed to say no, and you're allowed to discuss with the practitioner the fact that they think that they're making a mistake. Because at the end of the day, the last person to sign off on whether the medication is acceptable is you as the pharmacist. So your responsibility doesn't end when the doctor says, this is the way it's going to be, and that's the way you're going to give it. So, okay, thank you very much. Your patient can find a different pharmacy to go to because I've documented all of the things that are wrong. Documentation is key. Following proper protocol is key. Following treatment algorithms is key. If you're doing those things correctly, you're doing the right thing. Now, you've got states legislating whether or not you can tax the product coming into the pharmacy. So if I buy opioids in New York, I have to now pay a state tax on certain opioids. And we, you know that basically just put a block on whether or not pharmacists, or whether or not stores could bring opioids in. Okay, so now what you've done is completely blocked patients from being able to get the opioids that they need for legitimate reasons for legitimate patients. Those illegitimate patients are being driven to illegitimate sources where they're dying. And so they say, okay, the way to fix this is if you're going to give an opioid, you have to give naloxone. Uh, you have to give um, the, the reversal agents. Okay, great. You could write the prescription for it and I'll fill it. But the patient doesn't have to take it home. So there's a hole in therapy there. What are we going to do about that? That's a big question, and that's where we're all that's where we're all at. And then where does the role of advising for treatment for opioid addiction play a role? What do we do with our patients who are interminably on suboxone or on 16 milligrams of suboxone when eight milligrams of suboxone covers 95% to 98% of the receptor sites? Why are we going well above that level? What are we really doing? And are we right to say, hey, doc, you made a mistake? So I when, I, when I think of this, Jason, and I want to go to Mark because I think of Mark as the block and tackle coach 
because he's in with the students kind of right. setting the setting the precedent and setting the science at the very beginning of this mark how with all of this going on with the opiate epidemic and what's happening in healthcare what what can you do outside of true teaching of the block and tackle to help the patients understand there's a need for them in healthcare? There's a lot, especially as pharmacists. We we really do have a big role. And I, I would echo what Jason had just said earlier on the just say no. I think I would possibly just spell it differently. Uh, I would do the just say no, K-N-O-W. Mm-hmm. Knowledge is very, very big in the in this realm. Um, you know. Todd, you mentioned the student pharmacist, of course, paving the, the, the invisible road for the future, really. It, it's, it, some would say an unsurmountable task, but it's what we need to do. And it, it sounds like, uh, Jason, some of your, your upbringing that you mentioned there, um, being within the VA system, um, one heck of a, a system overall, actually. Uh, our yeah. Department of Defense and Veterans, um, they've done a lot in the last couple of years. Uh, when it comes to the pain management realm, basically taking things that were um, the, the studies, if they were studies, would be out in the battlefield and saying, hey, how do we do this back at home? Uh, one of the things that actually comes to mind is it, it's a long acronym, but uh, the DVPRS uh, It's a pain scale. Now, yep. take note here. When you were, when Jason, when you were talking earlier, you never mentioned a number with your patients, and I applaud you for that. Um, Correct. Pain scales are a dime a dozen, that DVPRS uh, that's available via our tax dollars, quite frankly. Um, <laughs> it, it incorporates pretty much all the past pain scales, you know, your, your faces, your colors, your numbers, your, your thoughts and whatnot. But the funky thing with it is on the, typically in the back of the page, it has four additional questions that ask you about function and sleep and mood and whatnot. And everything Jason said earlier was all about the patient's function. Those are smart goals. They're actually attainable and measurable. You know, if some if a patient tells me that their goal is to walk out and get the mail in the in the afternoon, that's our goal. That has nothing to do with going from a nine to a three or a nine to an eight. Yep, that's exactly. more reasonable, really. That makes a lot of sense. You're you're talking real world uh, application of life, and what do I want to do as a patient in order to be as pain free as possible in order to function in life? Um, you know what that reminds me of is moving from transaction to value based because you're providing value of the patient's life and what they're able to do and how they're able to spend time with their kids or, or their wife or going out on a date or whatever it is that they're able to function, even though they're dealing with pain. Cause guess what? Uh, and once I'm 47 now, and let me tell you what, when I get out of bed after a volleyball game or playing paintball, like I did three weeks ago, I'm feeling some pain and, and am I dealing with it? Yeah. I stretch, I do some other things. I take, you know, some Tylenol, but dealing with that pain, uh, you know, uh, Mark and I were talking before we started recording, Jason, and I said, from my patient's perspective and listening to other patients who are non-healthcare professionals, they just want to take a pill and they want to take the lazy way out rather than like Dr. Feudin said, hey, what about yoga? What about stretching? What about diet? What about in- inflammation? inflammation. <laughs> but y- your ability to control these things um, aren't just about the pill. It's not about the medication. It's also about the lifestyle and what you're doing outside of just the medication. You've stumbled upon a big one there, Todd. There was, um, I don't even remember where in my career, but I remember a leader that I had gave an assignment to a team and it was 50 directions numbered. Uh, the, the first direction said to read all the directions. Nobody reads the directions. Well, number 48 said, Hey, you don't have to do any of this. Um, right. 
it, you know, it can be done in two seconds, basically. Um, we, we experience that well outside of pain management. There, there's patients with diabetes that need a lot of care these days, and guidelines in that realm seem to recently have skipped over diet and exercise. We, we go right to metformin, practically <laughs> drinking water. It, it, it's, you know, being a pain guy, that, that's, that's what gets me here. Um, well, there's a, there's a great meme that shows that there's two, there's two windows, that, like two pickup windows. One has a long line, and it says, you know, pills. And the other one says diet and exercise, and there's no one on the line. <laughs> you know, it's like it's it's the hardest thing to do, yet it's the easiest thing to do. Yeah, and, and it's it's battling inertia too. It's you know, mm-hmm. all gut check ourselves. I I probably need to get on the the treadmill or something or other a little bit more too. But you know, how do we actually reach our patients and talk about that? Um, I was talking with Todd a little bit earlier too about that. Couple months ago, I uh, had a, a pain management certificate released with FreeCE.com. It's like twenty some hours on pain management for pharmacists. It's everything. It's an interprofessional approach, but through the eyes of pharmacy. Included in there, and, and I usually like to talk about non-pharmacological treatments in this manner. You gotta. We have to teach it and learn it in the perspective of our patients, and by that I mean active and passive treatments. Um, if a patient tells me that they do not want to be part of the treatment plan, just take care of me, doc. Well, that's what we're going to do. That would be on the passive side. So the chronic lower back pain, fibromyalgia, the, the list goes on. Perhaps yoga wouldn't be, uh, it would be appropriate, but it wouldn't be as smart of a strategy for that particular patient. And conversely, if they you know, want to be active and they're the ones that want to take care of the, the target in the end, yoga, tai chi, all these active things come out in play too. So how, how do you, Jason, how would you treat a patient with a multitude of things that is non-opioid and, and be able to layer it? And I know this is a wide question, but you could pick even an example because I'm, I'm thinking of how do we take a topical? How do we take a vitamin? How do we take over-the-counter uh, pain reliever? How do we layer things for a patient and teaching them to truly deal with their pain and help manage their pain because they're part of the treatment team. And I think sometimes patients overlook the fact that they're part of it. Well, I would say that the most important thing, and it, it really depends on the kind of pain we're talking about, right? If it's sports in- injuries, if it's a uh, 70-year-old with joint pain, if it's a cancer patient, they're all very different types of pain. Uh, if it's stenosis, if it's disc problems, if it's, you know, um, you know, back surgeries, things like that, uh, joint pain surgery, you know, knee replacements, elbow replacements, those, those are all very different things that we have to deal with. And our tolerances uh, we can't cast one level of tolerance over the opioid epidemic for a specific thing. Uh, we have to understand that the opioid epidemic came on and it took a long time to get here and it's going to take a long time for it to go away. Pulling access to opioids is not going to be the answer. But there, I mean, legitimate patients are not going to go away. There are always going to be bad actors. And we can even see in a couple of states that there are like one or two pharmacies in each state that seem to be the state's number one opioid um, buyer, right? And so they're the number one opioid dispenser, but they're like a small mom and pop pharmacy. Okay, well, then that means our state agencies need to get more involved. And we need to be able to report individual problems in a way that's not going to sound the alarm bell for the DEA to come running in and fix it. But, you know, our state PMPs are getting better. 
in terms of our ability to send an alert to the governing body to say, okay, there's something funny about this profile. I would like an investigator to take a look at it. Okay, so that's that's something that's helpful. But on a one-on-one with the patient who's in your pharmacy who says, I hurt my back, I did this, I did that, where do we go from here? Well, we start you know, with your, your standard wound care, rest, ice compression, elevation, depending upon what our problem is. And then our topicals, you know, I really like the TheraWorks. I think it's a wonderful product, and I think it gets to the root part of the pain. Um, one of the things we were always taught in pharmaceutics is that you can give a pill but you should also you can also give a cream at the same time because patients like to feel like they're doing something. Most of our patients like to feel like they are making their situation better. So here's some Tylenol, here's some Advil, here's some TheraWorks. If you massage this in three times a day, you'll be able to feel that knot in your lower back and maybe you can work it out a little bit. Maybe it'll loosen up. Here's our lidocaine patches. You know, they're only 1% different from the prescription items that were helping with the knee joint pain that you were paying for. Now you can't pay for it because they're not covered anymore, but these will work really well. You know, I have a, I have a, a, a product that is like a, a an icy hot that has a rollerball on it. That's really great for massaging the top of your shoulder or your trapezius to get that, you know, to get that tightness that's pulling your shoulders into your ear. And, and now your neck is starting to hurt and your neck is now being cervicogenic to your migraine. And if we just relax all of this out, maybe we can get you to relax a little bit and we'll get that pain level to come down. Maybe we can prevent a migraine, right? And even our migraineurs who are, popping pills like crazy because they're just physically unable to, to function, there are modalities that we can, we can ask them to help with too. Besides, you know, we could have our meditation, the topicals that we can apply, cold, you know, um, different things that we can help with these people so that there are certain things that we can get involved with. And then we say to them, here, I can't be 100% sure that this is going to be the, the modality that works for you, but come back to me in a couple of days and let me know how it works because then we can adjust it. And, and that's the, that's the type of therapy that I try to produce in, in the retail locations. West Virginia university is actually expanding North into Fayette County and Uniontown. I'm very excited about this collaboration with other healthcare providers within the area. Tell me Mark about WVU's integrative pain management center and um, and how you're trying to kind of teach the next generation of pharmacists uh, to care for patients with uh, with pain issues. Growth is a good thing. Yes. Uh, when it when it comes to our, our actually integrative team, uh, it's it's darn near practicing in utopia. Quite frankly, uh, we we do a lot of teaching in the interprofessional sense, um, but at the same time, it, it's really deploying it into practice. I know even in my first experiences as the only pharmacist with, within our integrative pain center, um, there was a time when there was no pharmacist. It wasn't that long ago, actually. And originally, the conversations before arriving there as the clinical pharmacist was, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have uh, working together within the team, going with the nurses, doctors, and, and everyone else, really, for patient appointments. And maybe we'll come across some questions. Now, I didn't say anything at that time, nor need to, but the thinking in the back of my head, of course, was every patient's going to have issues. We know that. We're pharmacists. Let's be real. <laughs> that's what we do. And lo and behold, that's how it was. And 
but at the same time, you know, I, I chime in on that idea of like, oh, as a clinical pharmacist, we bring so much to the team. You know what, though? I learn a lot as well, too. When I'm working with the advanced practice nurses and they're doing these physical exam techniques, and I'm just watching in shock and awe, I, I'm learning diagnosis techniques for spinal issues that I, we definitely don't cover in pharmacy school nor need to. But exactly. the teamwork there is just abundant. And yes, we improve patient care, but boy, we learn a lot from each other, too. That's awesome. So, um, what, when we, there's listeners out there, they're in their car, they're, they're exercising, they're doing whatever they're doing. Thanks for listening to these shows, these podcasts. Jason, what do you say to the pharmacist that is listening that thinks, Hey, maybe I want to get into this. Maybe I want to learn a bit, a bit more. We know that non-traditional pathways for pharmacists is one of the hot buttons right now in healthcare. You know, where do we go from here? Well, we have a wonderful non-traditional pathway that we're setting up with RxVIP, and we have pharmacists that are going to be working in doctor's offices, and we're going to be doing wellness visits. That includes uh, the annual wellness visit for Medicare, and we're also going to be doing risk assessments uh, from fall risk, pain management uh psych assessments and we are going to have a, a wonderful program and in, within the tablet that they'll be using there are treatment algorithms and diagnostic algorithms that are built into it that when the patients fill out these evaluations they will then kick off another one so if they on a mini mental if they tip the scales to be have a depression problem it will ask them to start to fill out a more in-depth um, depression scale to find out. And we've actually been able to have two or three patients who are suicidal um, have interventions that kept them from harming themselves. Um, we also will be able to uh, address pain issues that are not uh, really coming out to light with the doctor. Uh, to be honest, the doctor doesn't have a ton of time to, to be with every patient. They're forced to see them in 15, 20-minute blocks. We're going to be having the ability to basically tee the patient up for the doctor at a visit that the patient does not have to see the doctor. So they'll see the pharmacist. The pharmacist will see you now, we like to say, and that the pharmacist will assess the needs of the patient and prepare notes for the physician to tee up a visit for the doctor for the next time. So we can let the doctor know, Mrs. Smith has been some, some had some mobility issues. She's not getting around the house the way she'd like to. She's actually afraid that she might fall in the shower. And her knees are not as stable as they used to be. So these are some things you should address at your next visit. We'll set an appointment. She'll have The doctor will have the ability to have really uh, a more in-depth knowledge of what's happening with that patient at the time they make the visit. And it's also the ability where the patient will feel a little bit more comfortable, a little more relaxed. It's not that white coat scariness that's, uh, that happens sometimes in the visit where they feel they have to get everything in at once. We have the time. We can take up to an hour with a patient to really get in-depth in, in looking through our assessments to make sure that all of the needs of the patients are being addressed. And now the doctor, instead of being having things lost to follow up or memory with the patient, are now documented. They're there for this next visit the patient's going to have, and then we're there for follow-up. And we can refer the patients out for chronic care management. We can help them with their um, creating their um, long-term uh, care goals, and we'll, we'll have it all documented in a way that is reviewable at the patient, and the patient can take a copy of it with, with them when they leave so they can bring it to other practitioners or, or, or home so the family can see it. 
And that's a, a big way that we're doing it. And we're also um, initial um, creating a, a pharmacogenetics program within that system. And we're going to be having pharmacists review um, the pharmacogenetic panels of the patients and a, a basically make a, some recommendations and, and treatment maybe changes that we can recommend to a, to the practitioners to re- remove some medications that might be dangerous for the patient and align the doctor to the, the, the types of treatments that would be more advantageous for the patient. Mark, what, how much time are you getting with, with students that, that, you, that go through your specific department? And when they are coming through the education that you're providing, is there an interest from them to become a pain specialist pharmacist? Absolutely. On that last part, um, it, everyone sees the headlines today. It, it's something involves pain management, drug diversion, substance use disorder, addiction every day, every hour for that matter, whether it's court cases, whether it's patient care, whether it's products, it, it's out there constantly. Uh, and student pharmacists are very savvy and hungry for that information, which is a good thing. Uh, we actually did a, an internal survey to kind of gut check ourselves, even within Western University, the, the overall health sciences center, because of an article, it's about 10 years old now, uh, back in 2009, that, that kind of picked on schools of medicine across the country to say that there wasn't a lot of pain management education, and it was single digit numbers. Those numbers have drastically trained changed across the whole country, really. Uh, but we knew that we were very strong, where our numbers were well above double digits, of course, uh, to be strong with that. Um, Todd, I'd actually also like to go back to something else you were saying. Uh, you know, for, for those that are listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network right now, and you're, you're, you're sweating, you're in the gym, you're, you're by the pool, you're sitting on the couch, you're in your car, wherever you are, um, it, talking about that, you know, the non-traditional roles of a pharmacist. Uh, one of the key things, it's kind of like for our student pharmacists, we always have a, what we call a career roundtable. And it's basically pulling in pharmacists from a, whether it's non-traditional or traditional roles. They just sit down and talk with our uh, first-year students, the P1s, and just you know tell them what's out there. But I always emphasize to our student pharmacists when talking with them that it's not necessarily that you're paying attention to what specifically the person is doing, whether it's cool or not. Uh, it's really listening to their path, how they did it. And what they're always going to hear is the mental sweat no matter what. For these non-traditional paths, I'm living one or I'm living five, I don't even know anymore, um, but it takes a lot of mental sweat. So it's the so extra true. Part, it's it, so yeah, true. It, it's, it, that is the consistent thing. It's not the intelligence. I'll throw myself out there even. It's the mental sweat. Uh, and so yeah. that's even wearing your sweat too. It's, you know, I, right now, even tonight, everybody take an extra, everybody goes to bed, kids are in bed, spouses in bed, who's ever, everybody's in bed, take an extra 15 minutes and start looking at things where, you know, if this pain management thing is what you're looking at, check out the things, uh, like I mentioned, the pain management certificate on freece.com. Check out pain week, check out the offerings at APHA, ASHP, and the list goes on. Um, I'll actually be a presenter at pain week. I love working with those folks. It's, they just extend the bar a little bit higher when it comes to getting the message out there. Um, but, but do those extra things. And, there's no path that's going to be the same for everyone, but the mental sweat. Bottom line, the, the education of the of the next generation is so important to us, and 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 I know it is to you, Mark. And the the ability to teach them that it's that you know, just that keep circling around. But it was you hear so many doctors are so happy that they one they've never um, they've never written a prescription for an opioid before. 
you know, or they know this, they know that, and they, they're never going to do it. Or I've only been, I've only written it once or twice and I give them seven pills, right? That's just as bad as the guy who is writing 320 oxy thirties, right? I mean, it's just, they're, they're both just as bad. One, you're under treating people Two, your God knows what the hell you're doing to somebody. Um, so the education of the next generation to, to really teach what's appropriate, what fits into a treatment algorithm. And, and again, you know, really working with patients on the one-on-one level to say, what are your goals? You know, how does this medicine make you feel? How do you not want it to make you feel? And what are you, what are your fears about the medicine and how can we address those fears? Because every day, I, I, you know, even people with dental care, am I going to get addicted to this? Do I really need this? What am I, am I supposed to take this? Those are things that we have to deal with on a regular basis. And it's not just one person. Always comes down to the conversations. That's, Mm -hmm. I agree there. You nailed it, Jason. It's conversations with the patients. And and that's the biggest thing that we really need to teach is, you know, there's all the pharmacology, kinetics, dynamics, everything, but it's coming down to having those conversations. And yes, there'll be the reality of uh, filling a lot of scripts, doing a lot of rounds, doing 17 journal clubs a day, whatever it is, it's going to be there, but it's taking the time to care. No, it, I've said it a million times where nobody cares what you know until they know how much you care. Bottom line. Mm-hmm. And exactly. That's so. And they're not willing to listen until they know you care. Right. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you driving up. Uh, I want to let you and West Virginia University Health Sciences, uh, you are more than welcome to come back and talk, bring some students with you. Um, Jason, it's always uh, a pleasure talking with you through your podcasting um, expertise now and and how many of the shows that you've been involved with. Um, I love the creativity that we're bringing to the table. Uh, and, and I just, I just thank you. I also want to thank the listeners. Uh, we're celebrating our 10th anniversary this year, over 850 episodes. We've attracted some major players in the healthcare space to participate. I know that when I drive as much as I do and commute and travel as much as I do, I always appreciate listening to the expertise of a pharmacist in so many different roles. Um, and I want to shout out to the students specifically you are limited in your career in pharmacy based on your imagination. It's true. It's a hundred percent true. Any closing words, Mark, for, uh, for your fellow students listening to you right now? Oh, for our student pharmacists all across the country, quite frankly, and our practicing pharmacists and quite frankly, all healthcare professionals stay strong. We are all on the front lines of whether it's this opioid crisis, opioid epidemic, you know what meth is making a turn these times too it's the the quote-unquote war on drugs it's not going anywhere we're human um everyone's a heartbeat though and everyone has you know a lot of stuff going on in life so take the time to care like we talked about here today and to do that put in some of that mental sweat thank you for listening evidence-based podcast with uh jason mark myself i want to give a shout out to avedum health thank you so much for sponsoring this series we're going to be uh hearing from uh dr Uh, nelson with avedum health uh coming up next as a bonus uh to this series a three-part series if you search avedum health podcast in google you'll be able to find all the episodes and as always we thank you for listening to the pharmacy podcast Thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. If you enjoy the leading podcast network dedicated to the business and profession of pharmacy, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know which channel is your favorite. And remember, the pharmacist is the hub of healthcare.